What's up and welcome back to the Locked On Bucks podcast. I am James Yarko, joined as always by David Harrison. You can find everything that we're doing over at thepeterplank.com and make sure you're following along on Twitter at the Locked On Bucks, at the Peter Plank, at jyarko underscore bucks, and at dh82 underscore bucks. Last week, David Harrison was on location in Chicago, and this week he's on location in North Carolina, correct? Yeah, I'm in North Carolina until Friday. How glorious is North Carolina at this moment in time? Uh, I can't complain about the weather. It's pretty nice. Well, I'm a little jealous because we're getting three inches of snow overnight. (laughs) Yeah, I heard. Um, I'm a little disappointed, though, because I came – I was supposed to go home between Chicago and North Carolina, but I wasn't able to because of the storms. So I ended up coming to North Carolina with all the clothes I packed for Chicago which is not designed for seven degree weather. Ooh, but I suppose yikes. that's uh, you know, champagne problems as they would say, right? Yeah, there you go. All right. Well, David, there uh, there's a little bit more news to talk about. Real quick, I'm going to um to recap the Buccaneers free agent hall up to this point. And uh we're gonna have a, a quick little conversation about uh about what kind of impact they are gonna have. But of course, as we as we talked to Greg Allman last week, uh, at that point in time, the Buccaneers had signed Bo Allen, the defensive tackle, and the defensive end slash defensive tackle Mitch Unrein. And since then, it is official: the Buccaneers have signed center Ryan Jensen and defensive end Vinnie Curry. Both of those occurring over the weekend. Um, you know, big news for the Buccaneers, and and uh, it's exciting to have them on the team. So that brings me to my question, David: Which of the, you know, outside free agents? Because you know they they extended their own guys, of course, and they brought back Grimes, who was technically going to be a free agent. They brought back some of their own free agents, but of those four, which one of these players do you think is going to have the biggest impact on the team? Uh. I'm going to say Ryan Jensen only because, you know, a lot of us gave Dirk Cutter some flack when he uh, he had his final press conference from last season and said that, you know, he thought his offensive line was in the top half of the NFL and and all that. And I know that uh, Brent Allen wrote a little, little something about that. And, and maybe the line was a little bit better than we all gave him credit for, but um, I think the offensive line was still a concern, and it was good to see them pursue uh, one of the one of the better offensive linemen in the, in the market. I think the best offensive lineman available in this year's market. Um, and I just I think Jensen's presence is going to do a lot for the Buccaneers' running game, for even pass protection. Allowing Ali Marpet to move back over to guard is going to do a lot. And so it's kind of a toss up, really, because I don't know just yet. Just like I mean, none of us really do just how Allen, Unrein, and Curry are all going to get mixed in there. So until we really see how uh, Coach Buckner and Coach Smith plan to use those guys in, in with their current players and then whoever they draft, it's kind of hard to predict their impact. But Ryan Jensen, I think if you're trying to predict 2018 impact here, even before the draft, you can pretty much bet that he's going to have a big impact, positive or negative, on the offensive line. Because if he turns out to be a free agent bust, I mean, that's going to be a huge impact as well. So, uh, yeah, Jensen's the guy I've got my eye on. All right. Well, you know, I I agree with you, but for the sake of discussion, uh, I'm going to say Bo Allen. And I know people look at the numbers and, oh, he's only got two sacks. That's not what he was brought here to do. 
Bo Allen was brought in to do basically what Fatty McLazy uh, could not, which is why he's in Cincinnati and tweeting me uh, middle finger emojis. Um, but he's here to take the pressure off Gerald McCoy, to be efficient in run stopping, to um, you know, to to help free up McCoy for some one on ones and help create that pressure. And, and as we we discussed with with Greg Allman, and as I've heard on some other podcasts, I wrote about it on the Peter Plank, being able to stop the run is going to affect the pass defense. So if Bo Allen comes in and does what he's supposed to do and be, you know, that highest rated run stopping interior defensive lineman that was available on the open market as pro football focus says that he is, everybody knows my feelings on pro football focus, but some people take their, their grading systems, you know, pretty, they, they weigh it pretty heavily. So for that crowd, you know, he was the highest rated run stopping interior defensive lineman on the open market. So if he comes in and does that, it's taking the pressure off of the linebackers to come up and help. It's taking pressure off of the corners because they're not, they're not strapped in coverage anymore because it's taking more than just the front four to stop the run. It's all, as I said, with the draft and free agency, it's the same. uh, It's the same theory here. It's all a symphony. It all has to work together. The run defense stepping up is in turn going to help the pass defense in the long run. So I feel that, that Bo Allen is an underrated signing. I think he's going to have a huge impact on, on the defense. Now, as you pointed out, we don't know if he's going to have some sort of rotational role or if he's going to be kind of that full-time starter because they don't have Clinton McDonald anymore. I was really hoping they were going to bring back Clinton McDonald, and it does not look like that's going to happen. So now you're looking at Bo Allen. It sounds like they're going to slide Unrein to the interior. Um, and then, of course, you have Curry and, and Spence and Golston as as the ends right now. So that's that's one that I'm certainly going to be keeping a big, big eye on is the impact that he's going to have. It doesn't look like he's the kind of guy who's going to – take practices off or loaf around or not take what happens on every snap seriously. Unlike some people who were relegated to Cincinnati and probably won't make the roster. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, Allen was, was a great pick and, and I'll admit, you know, we, we didn't really put a whole lot of attention on him before, before the news broke that the Bucks were talking to him. And I mean, that was kind of across the board of Bucks media, but, uh, doesn't it doesn't uh, it's not a slight towards him by any means. Just there were some sexier names out there, and you know I, I like what Jason Light has done this off season. I've I've been blasted on Twitter for saying as much, and that's fine. But um, you know, like you said, he's not there to get sacks. He's not there to get to the quarterback every play. He's obviously I'm sure he would enjoy getting sacks just as much as the fans would enjoy seeing him get sacks. But his job is eat blocks and fill gaps, and uh, you know he's got the attitude for it. And even beyond the the, the play on the field. Kind of what you were talking about alluding to uh, to Chris Baker there, his attitude and approach in the game and preparation and all that stuff can be infectious as well. So uh, having a guy like him on the roster and what it appears anyway that he's going to bring to the team uh, is, is really exciting. Yeah, and, and as far as the um, some of the in-house candidates that I had you know kind of mentioned before, um, the Bucks officially – 
uh, or made it official that they have re-signed Brent Grimes, Will Clark, Adarius Glanton, Cameron Lynch, and running back Peyton Barber, who if the season started this weekend would be the the number one back. I still think we all expect um, one, maybe even two running backs drafted um, come uh, come the final weekend here in April. Coming up next, we are going to uh, tackle a Twitter question that was sent in from one of the listeners. You are listening to the Locked On Bucks podcast. I am James Yarko, joined as always by David Harrison. You can find everything we're doing at thepewterplank.com and follow along on Twitter at Locked On Bucks and at the Pewter Plank. David, we got ourselves a Twitter question, mm-hmm. and it's a uh, it's a good one. I don't. I don't know how you're going to answer, and I have a feeling we're going to differ on this a little bit. But mm-hmm. X-Man, uh, at 88EXMAN, he tweeted in, what are the uh, the thoughts on the safety position and where you rank it on the Buccaneers' list of needs? I'm going first. You are going first. So, two-parter, right? Like, what are my thoughts on the safety position? So, I'm taking that as, like, a Buccaneers safety position, not the draft class, right? So, that's how I'm going to approach that. I think Justin Evans um, obviously had a really solid rookie year, um, showed a lot of things. He was more versatile than most of us, if not all of us, gave him credit for being uh, when he was drafted. I definitely had him pigeonholed as a thumper, as, you know, just a hard-hitting uh, uh, box type of safety. And in the beginning of the season, that I mean, that kind of looked like what he was, to be honest with you. But as the year progressed, he got better and better in coverage. Um, even when he got beat, you know, it wasn't for a lack of good positioning. You know, uh, as a defender, sometimes, you know, especially going against some of these, these NFL wide receivers and stuff, all you can do is make it hard, you know. But some of these receivers are great for a reason when you're talking about names like Julio Jones and all that. And so – you know, as a rookie, you just got to make sure you're in the right position to make the play that you can make. And if uh, if a future Hall of Fame receiver makes a future Hall of Fame type play, I mean, I don't know what you're going to do about that. So his his development just in the season was really impressive. So then now that he's at the offseason, and, you know, we talked to Chris Godwin earlier uh, in the offseason, and he mentioned how, you know, coming through the draft process and all that, you're kind of on your own for the first time. You don't have – you know, the school nutritionist and all that stuff, and you're really just having to do it for the first time on your own. And so you're learning your mistakes after the fact because you show up to training camp and realize, oh, man, I didn't eat the way I should have completely. Well, it's too late. Like, you're just now realizing that. Well, this season, this offseason, you've learned those lessons. So theoretically speaking, you know, you should be able to come back for your sophomore campaign uh, in a little better conditioning and be able to take advantage of some of the lessons you learned in your rookie year. So I'm really excited to see what he does on the field. And then as far as the the next guy, I mean, Conte and Tandy are back. Um, I know that's not going to, you know, boost jersey sales by any means. But those are two solid guys, man. I mean, Tandy didn't show up last year as much as I thought he would. Like, I really thought he was going to come in and fight for a starting position during training camp. Uh, Coach Cutter even alluded to to uh, that early in, in camp, and it just never came uh, to be. So I don't know, you know, what was, what was going on there. Maybe he was struggling with some injuries we didn't really know about or I don't know, but uh, he's coming back. So there's something about him that the team likes, whether it be attitude, effort, you know, or, or maybe they just thought he had a down year. I don't know. 
So that's what I think of the current safety situation. You've got three safeties that have shown they can play. I know we've had struggles in the past, but I think they're all serviceable guys, right? So as far as importance in the draft is concerned, I don't really rank position importance. Um, So that's not going to really satisfy this question, I guess. But, like, for me, the trenches, running back, cornerback, and safety, those are the Bucs' needs. But they're all the Bucs' needs. Like, I don't have – because to me, and and I do a lot of mock drafting, so this is kind of why I have this this mentality. If I look at safety as their number one need and then defensive end as their number two need and then offensive line as their number three need, then – when I'm doing like my mock drafts or kind of figuring out what I think might happen or trying to deliver a, a post on the on the Peter Plank about what could happen, what I could see happening, I feel like I'm that's going to cause me to kind of start reaching. Like I'm going to say, okay, if the team's going to take Mika Fitzpatrick when there's a Bradley Chubb on the board because what's well, to me safety is the most important thing. So I don't really go about ranking needs. I just say that's what all their needs are. So yeah, safety is definitely a need, um, but at the end of the day. In my own mind, when you're looking at your draft board, you look at who's available. It's who's the top guy in a position of need that makes him your most valuable player, so you take him. That's fair. That's fair. And and I, you know, by and large, I I agree with your assessment of the safeties. I was I was confused at Tandy's lack of playing time last year. I'm glad to see that he's coming back. Um, but. The thing that gets me is is the continued – I mean, I'm not surprised by it, but it's the continued hate on Chris Conti. And if people find themselves with the opportunity that they can sit down and they can go back and watch the Bucks games from last year, especially with the All-22, you're going to find that Chris Conti had a pretty solid season. Like, he was not bad. And, and I was someone who was screaming about how much I wanted him off the team back in 2016 because it seemed like he was just so terrible and you know I get it perception is reality and so you have that perception of him you know he had some blown coverages he had some blown plays and so you just kind of automatically assume that he's always terrible and he had a solid season he he deserved that that one year option he deserves to come back and at the very least be a rotational guy and you and I have been on record multiple times as saying how excited and how happy we are with Justin Evans' progression, and I think he's going to end up being um, an incredibly valuable asset for this team for years and years to come if he continues on the progression that he he started last year. I don't want him to be complacent. I don't want him to think, you know, well, I made some of these great plays last year. I can kind of rest on my laurels here. He has to continue to improve. But the trajectory that he's on makes me very excited to see him continue to work in the future. As far as how I see the needs, I went ahead and I ranked the needs in my own personal way. Um, but I agree with with what you said that you don't reach on a player just because he's your biggest need. Like my number one need for this team is a defensive end. If Chubb is gone, I don't want to see the Bucks pick Arden Key at seven if Quentin yeah. Nelson is sitting there. That just doesn't make any sense. So, yeah, you always take the best player available at a position of need. 
to me, the biggest need is defensive end, followed by left guard, running back, corner, and then safety. They obviously need a safety. You don't want to go into the season with only three. They have to sign at least one more, whether it be the draft or uh, in free agency. Same with corner. You need at least two more corners on this team. You may sign a a third-tier free agent to help fill a roster spot and provide some depth, and you draft one on day three, and you're going to slide Vernon Hargraves back to the outside. Yeah, however that may work out, but that doesn't mean that you're going to reach for a corner at seven if there's not one there worth taking. You know, if if Chubb and Nelson are gone, people are making the argument now that you you have to draft Derwin James or Minka Fitzpatrick or your boy Denzel Ward from Ohio State. All of them are great players in their own right, but if that's the situation and I'm Tampa, I'm, I'm looking to try to trade back if anybody's willing to trade up and maybe take one of those players later on. Um, I would, I would venture to guess that at least one of those slip out of the top 10. If I had to guess it would be Minka Fitzpatrick just because he he's a lot like, um, Oh gosh, I just, uh, peppers last year. People don't really know what to do with him. He's a phenomenal athlete. He's a phenomenal football player, but you don't really know what to do with him right now. Is he going to line up at safety? Do teams see him as a slot corner? Do, do they, you know, what, what is, what is he? So, you know, that's, that's kind of how I view it. It's what? He's a slot guy. He could be, but I mean, I think much himself at the combine, he was asked uh, where he feels most comfortable playing. And he even said himself, he feels more comfortable playing inside as a cornerback. And I mean, I don't know if he was prepped for that question or not, because any agent worth a crap would have said, do not by any means tell the NFL that you feel more comfortable playing as a slot corner because nobody's going to select a slot corner in the first round. But the Buccaneers, I mean, like you said, he's athletic, he's versatile. They didn't intend to. Uh, <laughs> he's athletic, he's versatile. So he's still going to get drafted. Like if there's if there's a if there's a, a hybrid player that could say, well, I'm more comfortable playing in a position that's normally uh, selected day two, day three, and still get picked on day one. It's Mika Fitzpatrick. But um, you're not going to. There, mock drafts are fun for me because you get to play the what if game, right? You you get to live in. Like, there's, like, infinite amounts of NFL universes out there, and, and each draft class is different. And that's kind of the fun I had out of mock drafts. You get to play the what-if game. Like, my first one, you know, it was only seven picks, but my first one was no trades allowed and what happens if the Browns don't take a quarterback with either of their first two picks. So I get to play that what-if game. Well, now I'll go back later, and I'll say, okay, what if I'm wrong, and what if Sam Darnold is the Browns pick? Uh, I don't think he should be, but this isn't locked on Browns. So – I, I get to play all those games. I'm telling you right now, there's not a universe that I'm going to put on paper where Mika Fitzpatrick lands in Tampa Bay. This is not going to happen for me. Yeah, you just want to find ways to get another Ohio State Buckeye on on Tampa. No, I mean for the record, um, and I mentioned this too. You know, we we talked about my uh, my my quick mock draft uh, before it went live. I don't think Denzel Ward is. Uh, a seventh overall pick. It's it's uh, no shade to him. He's, I think he's a he's a good young player. He's gonna have a good career, I, I believe. But again, holding true to my own intentions, right? There was no trade back option for me. If things go the way that I predict them to go, picks one through six, I would definitely want the Buccaneers to trade back and take a Derwin James or even take uh, Denzel Ward 
outside of the top ten. Um, that would that would be great. But looking again, looking at the team needs, looking at who was left on the board, it was between Derwin James and Denzel Ward. And the reason I went with Denzel Ward, which I didn't really elaborate in the piece just because I didn't want to make it 5,000 words, is looking into the second round, third round of safeties, who would pair with Denzel Ward later on as a safety cornerback uh, tandem. Right. looked better to me than how it would look if we took Derwin James right now and then went in. However, I've already told you, and probably I'll write it eventually someday, but I've actually already have, like, here's my dream scenario for the Buccaneers in the first round. It does involve a trade back, and it also involves the Buccaneers not taking any linemen until at least the third round, which is going to piss a lot of people off. But, again, it's not about reaching and saying, well, Bradley Chubb has gone at number seven. Defensive end pass rusher is the biggest need. So we're going to take Marcus Davenport uh, at number seven. I like right. Davenport, you know, like everybody else does. I mean, the kid's got a lot of raw ability and raw talent. You don't draft raw talent at number seven. I don't anyway, so I'm not going to. Harden Key, same thing. Superior talent, great athleticism, whatever. Uh, you know, he's got a high ceiling, as they say. But the other issues outweigh all those issues. So there's not a pass rusher that I would feel comfortable taking top ten outside of Bradley Chubb. So if Bradley Chubb is gone, which he will be, he's not the, – the Buccaneers are not getting a pass rusher in the first round. And in the second round, you know, Davenport might slip to that pick in the second round. Arden Key might slip to that position in the second round. Honestly, I don't. I wasn't in any interviews and I wasn't in any private conversations with Arden Key, obviously, so I don't know how he presented himself in those. But Arden Key's situations are serious enough for me that I'm not taking him before day three. And that's not going to happen. Like, he's not going to, you know what I mean? He's not going to be there day three. But that's just me personally. Do you think uh, you think Bradley Chubb could be there at that pick seven? I think there's a possibility. For sure. There's no chance. There's no chance. I See, and I don't, I don't buy into that. The biggest I'm threats, the biggest threats to the Buccaneers as far as drafting Bradley Chubb are the Browns at four and the Colts at six. I think the Browns go quarterback one, Barkley four, which is fine. I want nothing to do with Saquon Barkley, but that's a conversation for another day because we're we're starting to run out of time. The Colts at six, they could take Bradley Chubb. They desperately need Bradley Chubb, but they also desperately need Quentin Nelson. You're not going to go through an entire season of Andrew Luck trying to get healthy again, finally being healthy, getting onto the football field just to have that sieve of an offensive line get him killed again. If I'm yeah. well, and, and there's also the possibility that they try to trade out of that spot again. You know, That's they true. made outside they, of the trade, the way the board sits right now, right? There's no way Bradley Chubb's made to the Buccaneers because even if you're the Colts, you're right that they do need uh, offensive line help just as much, if not more, than they need defensive line help when you consider the health of Andrew Luck. However, looking at especially the interior line depth in this draft class, there are more. Like I, pro- I, I can almost promise you the Colts are going to have some interior linemen that they have like late first round, early second round grades on. Then multiple other, multiple names are going to be available in the second round when they come back around to pick again. However, looking at the edge rush at the edge rushers in this class, the depth is not nearly as as deep. And so passing on an interior lineman like if Nelson and Chubb are both there for the Colts, the, the selection is Chubb because you can pass on that interior offensive lineman get yourself the best pass rusher in this class by far, and you can come back in the second, third rounds even, and get yourself an interior lineman that 
will still boost your offensive line. But there's no offensive lineman that you're going to get in the second round that's going to be as good as Quentin Nelson. And if I'm well, no. if I'm Chris Ballard and I am brand new head coach Frank Reich, you don't protect Andrew Luck. I mean, you have to remember they missed on Pew, they missed on Ryan Jensen. They they've actively in free agency been trying to bolster this offensive line and failing to do so. If you do not protect Andrew yep. Luck, you are picking in the top three again next year, and you are going to have to take a quarterback. I think that's going to weigh heavily on their minds. And if they don't trade back again, I think it's a lot closer between Nelson and Chubb than many people believe. Now, that's not to say that I 100% am sold on the idea that they will pass on Chubb, but I think the the likelihood of it happening is a lot higher than most people do. No, and you you could definitely write like the the what you're saying makes sense, and it, it, it's definitely reasonable to to see the Colts going that way. The Colts obviously made their offensive line a priority this offseason, as they should have. I just I look at the gap between like Nelson and Davenport, or Nelson and Key. Uh, you know, there, there's a lot of other guys out there who uh, man, his name is slipping from my head right now. The guy out of Boston called uh, Landry, like Nelson and Landry, like, those are good pairings. Oh, and there's uh, that that kid out of Oklahoma that I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce his name. <laughs> but that pairing to me just isn't as good as what they could get with uh, Bradley Chubb and uh, and uh, another interior line because again, it's it's not just about pass protection either. You know what I mean? Um, I don't know what they're going to do at running back just yet, but in theory, you know, they're probably going to draft running back. They're probably, there's still some free agent running backs out there available they can go after. But the better your running game is, the the more your quarterback is going to get protected just via the running game being a, a viable threat. So it, it's all, it all intertwines, right? Um, but I'll tell you now, like Nelson and Chubb are uh, on the board and the Colts go with Nelson, then I have to believe somewhere Jim or say was like, we're protecting Andrew no matter what. Uh, and that, that decision was kind of taken out of Ballard's hands. But that's my own personal belief. Um, I, I'm all about protecting the quarterback. However, like I said, when you have an, an offensive line class that's as deep as this one is, which is not the deepest in the world, don't get me wrong, but it's definitely deeper than the pass rushing classes, uh, you, you can't pass up that top pass rusher. Well, we will certainly have more draft discussions and draft debates coming up here in the next couple of weeks because when uh, when this podcast drops, we are five weeks and one day away from the first round of the NFL draft. So, football uh, yeah, football Christmas, <laughs> which is odd because that would mean Christmas comes like a month after New Year's. I'm down with that. That's yeah, why football that's- is great. That that is there is no off season, but until then, make sure that you're checking out everything that we are doing over at thepewterplank.com. We're doing a profile on each of those four free agents that I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, so you can kind of get to know them a little bit better. And then coming up, we are going to be featuring a prospect a day all the way up until the NFL draft kicks off. So you're definitely going to want to check out all of those profiles, all of those prospects, get familiar with some of these names uh, because chances are uh, they're going to, some of them are going to end up being Buccaneers for sure. 
Make sure you're following along on Twitter at Locked On Bucks at the Peter Plank. I am at J Yarko underscore Bucks, and David is at DH82 underscore Bucks. We hope you all have a wonderful Wednesday, and thanks to each and every one of you for joining us right here at Locked On Bucks.